Thanks for joining us today on the Jesus Famous Podcast. Hey, the gospel affects every single area of our lives, and that includes every single relationship, and that includes our work relationships. If you're a boss, a manager, a leader in your workplace, then this episode is for you today because what we're doing today is going to the book of Ephesians and seeing how does the gospel apply to me as a leader. And I think what we'll see today is that the gospel will influence us and transform us into people who are life-giving to our employees, who care about their well-being, and ultimately demonstrate the love of God to them in our lives. I believe that a a solid Christian leader takes the time to open up his or her mouth and heart to praise and affirm, you know, those who are under them, those that they're leading. Leaders um, have that responsibility to create the right kind of environment. I know that you've been in the church for a long time, but I'm just curious, before you started working at the church, were you ever, did you ever have different jobs? Were you ever like the leader at a job place, workplace? No. Leader? No. Yeah, like manager or anything like that? No. No? No. Just had like your run-of-the-mill like college jobs, you know, just (laughs) doing stuff. Just working crazy hours. Not much graveyards and yeah, oh yeah, and all that. but yeah no, I I got <laughs> into I got into church work like right away, so you know I was like twenty years old when I started working at at this church full time. Mm. So nope, you know that. <laughs> I kind of know that, but maybe our listeners don't know that. Um, the Bible has all kinds of things to say about leadership, obviously. Um, but in this passage in Ephesians that we're looking at, um, it's just like a really cool word about leadership. But it's at this kind of, it's geared towards this like unique relationship between masters and slaves, but there's all kinds of leadership, like direction in it. And I thought that as we're just talking about this, Nate, you know, jumping into Ephesians, Ephesians chapter six is a chapter all about these different relationships in the church or kind of in the community, but Paul's addressing how people can live like with a Christian ethic in those relationships. And then he gets to this one particular one about masters and slaves, Um, but you relate it to leaders um, and kind of like manager and employee kind of things. I thought you could just let us in to this culture a little bit. What is Paul speaking to um, as he's writing this to masters and slaves? And how does that kind of, I guess, illuminate a little bit of how we think about leadership today? Hmm. Well, he was writing into a Roman Empire context that was largely enslaved Mm -hmm. and to many Christians who found themselves enslaved. So they came to Christ, but they were were slaves. Mm -hmm. The version of slavery that they had was evil. If there's a sliding scale of evil, Mm -hmm. it was not as evil as the kind of slavery that we have in American history, which is often what we think about when we read about slavery in the New Testament era. It was not 
authored by Christianity during right. the Roman Empire, but many Christians had to deal with it. It was the mm. accepted mechanism of the day. And lots of people were slaves. Doctors, lawyers mm. were also many times enslaved. And so in the church, you had that question, how are slaves going to treat their masters? How are masters going to to treat their slaves. I'm not going to say that if on one end of the spectrum there's American history slavery mm -hmm. and then on the other end of the spectrum there's current modern work environments. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that Roman Empire slavery was right in the middle of those two spectrums. Yeah. It was definitely still slavery. It was it was wrong. It, humans were being owned. Um, I think it was Aristotle that said the slave is a tool with a soul. Oh, wow. well, that's terrible. Yeah, that's wow. just terrible to say that kind of thing or to believe that kind of thing. But that's how people thought. Yeah. So the gospel came along, and it's elevating all human beings. Yeah. You know, it's saying, uh, "Hey, Roman Empire, you thought that women didn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. They do. You know, they're." They're part of God's creation. They're the pinnacle part of God's creation in one sense. They are they are in value before God, co-equal with mm. man. Um, hey, Roman Empire, you thought that children were disposable and not all that important? That's not true. You know, they are valuable in the sight of God. Mm. God loves them. That's God good. cares for them. Hey, Roman Empire, you thought that the lower classes or the enslaved class mm -hmm. was insignificant or subhuman. Mm. Not so. Jesus shed his blood for all human beings, including that slave class and including you, you know, wealthy people. So I like saying that because a lot of times in the West today, mm -hmm. we think that we're the ones that invented through our own, um, education and our own enlightenment mm -hmm. the idea that women and children and um, every class of people that that we are we all have value yeah. but this was a gospel creation amen and the world that Paul came into you know he just had to deal with okay this is what's going on though people are enslaved this is how they're making their ends mm -hmm. how they make ends meet how do I instruct them? How do I teach them? How do I encourage these new Christians that are enslaved or mm. even masters that are enslaved? And that's a tough one to wrestle with because the question is, why didn't Paul just come out and rebuke right. the system altogether and become that kind of um, voice mm -hmm. against that mechanism? And there probably isn't just one simple answer. You know, one answer might be, that from what I've read, there's evidence that slavery by the time of Christianity, by the time it came onto the scene in the Roman Empire, slavery was on the decline and yeah. some slaves were starting to get their freedom. So it's kind of like it was on its way out, but it was still a thing. There's some that think that was going on. There's also probably just some like practical things we think mm -hmm. of christianity as being this massive thing in the world at that mm -hmm. time but it wasn't it yeah. was a real small little remnant so they didn't have these this idea that mm -hmm. through our 
opinion and view of things, we're going to somehow change what the empire is going to do or be like, that wasn't even a dream. They may have Mm. prayed for the destruction of the slave system, but that really wasn't something that they thought they were going to be, uh, cultural culture shapers in that kind of way. And then there was probably some like gospel reasons too, you know, Paul and others may have known by the spirit that, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to, and that gospel message is going to elevate the value of all human beings. And slowly but surely it's going to be like the poison pill that kills Mm, slavery in the Roman empire as that view of other human beings Mm. begins to spread and less and less people see humans as objects, which we should not think that in our era we're living in today, we're all that enlightened oh, as if yeah. we don't think of people as objects. Abortion and pornography oh, are yeah. two huge examples of us objectifying human beings. But perhaps Paul had like that gospel reason. Hmm. But then the thing that I like I'm sorry, I'm saying I'm talking a lot right this, now, this but I think the thing that I like is that if if he's going to exhort slaves to work in a certain manner and yeah. for masters to lead in a certain manner, it's kind of like, well, if they had to do it, then in the West today, in yeah. working conditions that are so much easier and better and all of that, mm-hmm. like who are we to cry bloody murder and to mm. say that you know we, we don't have it good enough and i will yeah. not work in these conditions you know stuff like that like we need to we need to be better workers yeah. we need to be Amen. better leaders right. so i think there were probably some just in the long run ecclesiastical reasons mm, so to speak you know like good church reasons yeah. like if these people in the in the roman empire could get exhortations like this then none of us get a pass right. from these exhortations that's good to remember thanks for talking to us about the uh the dynamic of slavery back th- then in uh rome and greek culture and everything that's really helpful and you know as we're going through these questions we're looking at this passage that talks about masters and slaves, but we'll be relaying this to, um, yeah, like leaders and people who are working sure, and stuff. Yeah. So we may kind of interchange master leader. I'm going to try. Well, to be no, careful, let's just but... let's just make the full t- exchange right now. Yeah, you know, we're not. We are not to think. Uh, that the master slave paradigm in the Roman empire is at all what we have going on today. So we'll just make that shift and we'll just say, okay, let's, you know, let's, let's just say it. A master slave paradigm is sinful and wrong and we hate it. And it's an embarrassment to our national history Mm -hmm. that it was ever part of our nation, but we're going to move forward in this passage and apply it to a, worker or employee and employer and leader paradigm that's good that'll make it nice and clear yeah and helpful good i love it so let's talk about this nate so the first thing you mentioned here is that there, there weren't necessarily points in this article but there were some key things that you mentioned i thought we could kind of talk about one of these first ones was that 
the Christian leader is to continually seek the welfare of those they lead. Um, what would it mean for a Christian leader to care about the welfare of their employees? Is he talking about just kind of good working conditions? Is he talking about their well-being as a human being, as a person? So Paul says this really fascinating thing to the masters because he has many more words that he gives to the slaves. Yeah. So he's he's got an interesting word for, in our paradigm, the leadership yes. or the employer. Because when he talks to the workforce, he t- says all these things about serving them, submitting, um, coming under the leadership authority that's there, uh, work as unto the Lord, mm-hmm. like he's watching you, you know, things like that. And then Paul says to the leadership, he says, do the same to them. Hmm. So it's this interesting paradigm. He's just told the workers to submit to the leaders. Now the leaders are being told to submit to the workers. What does that mean? Now, of course, there would be some who would love to say, oh, yeah, what he means is that he's trying to upset the whole authority structure in general he's trying to create a flat playing surface he's trying to uh, say hey you're all one so uh, there should be no leadership there should be that kind of equality everybody gets paid the same you know Mm -hmm. that kind of deal right but just by the example of him using these titles uh, and the way that he continues to exhort the leaders, it's clear that he's not thinking about that. He's not trying to disrupt or upset the workplace structure, but what he is trying to upset or disrupt are the typical workplace attitudes. Mm-hmm. I'm better than you, you're lower than me, you know, kind of perspective. So the way I've thought about it is just that the the leader role uh, is supposed to be seeking the welfare of those that are in their employ, you know, Mm -hmm. people that they're leading. And, you know, I said it in a few different ways and, and kind of in a very distilled way in the article that I wrote about it. But, you know, I said things like they should open their mouths to praise those who work under them and should affirm their workers. So I think that's one thing that Christian leaders would do, you know, is, um, too often there's like verbal manipulation in the workplace where a leader, uh, doesn't like to praise the worker, doesn't like to, uh, affirm them for the good things that they're doing, doesn't take that kind of time, but instead just has like a, an expectation upon them that's so severe that they just couldn't measure up to. Mm. And then if the worker does well, the the attitude of the leader is like, well, you should do well. You know, you're getting paid to, to do well. Yeah. Uh, but I believe that a, a solid Christian leader takes the time to open up his or her mouth mm. and heart to praise and yeah. affirm, you know, those who are under them, those that they're leading. Another thing I said was that they train 
their workers. I think a lot of times in many workplaces, there's an impatience and an mm. expectation that people will self-train. Mm. We live in a time right now where companies are definitely um, putting the responsibility for training on the employee. Mm. So you take the class on your own time. You do the training on your own time. You go to school on your own time. And, you know, certainly people go to school, get their education, you know, without a company paying for it. But it's now extending into more of the workplace. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, I'm not going to train you to learn code because what if I pay you to learn code and then you work for me for a year and then you leave? Yeah. That's a cost that I've lost. But I think, it would be good for a, and and I'm sure that's a pressure for yeah, for companies totally. and everything, but I think it'd be good for a Christian employer to consider and ask, is there a is there a better balance there? Mm-hmm. Maybe employees and workers and the workforce are moving around very frequently. Maybe they're getting headhunted and they're looking for new opportunities all over the place. So it's not. Uh, I have a fiduciary responsibility not to just pay out all this mm. training for people all the time, knowing that they're going to now have a new asset that they are able to sell to some other company. Mm-hmm. Look, I could get why that would be a pressure, but maybe there's a balance there where you're not putting all the burden of training and self-improvement on an individual to yeah. pay for themselves. So, tr- But training them, you know helping your team grow in their skills. That's good. Using your voice and training. I think that's really, yeah. that's a great way to put it. You also talk about how Paul tells each master to lead without threatening. And you alluded to this a moment ago um, about work environments where a leader or a manager may use their voice in a threatening kind of way to produce results. And I've been in those kind of work environments. Um, not currently. Now that I work at Calvary, it's not like that, <laughs> but previously had some tough experiences and that is like a really life-sucking kind of atmosphere to be in and Paul looks at the masters and says look don't lead in a way that's threatening but rather life-giving not a threat-based culture but life-giving kind of culture so um maybe we can just talk about that for a minute if we're not leading from a kind of like a threatening kind of way then how do we lead to still like see results and everything. I know you talked about using your voice and um, training and everything, but what does it look like to just produce a life-giving kind of culture? Yeah, well, to stop your threatening does not mean that you have created a workplace that is void of discipline. Hmm. Uh, Discipline can totally exist in a non-threatening kind of way. And in fact, that's the best kind of discipline, you know, Mm -hmm. that it's not, there isn't this vague, looming Mm -hmm. threat, you know, how is the boss feeling uh, kind of thing, but more of a direct, hey, you know, uh, I wanted to talk to you. You were tasked with this responsibility. Mm -hmm. Uh, You came short in that responsibility. You didn't come through. I wanted to talk with you about why. Mm -hmm. Okay, I've heard you. Still, your performance is not right. Mm -hmm. And bringing that discipline. Um, So to not have a threatening attitude doesn't mean that we are void of discipline. It's just that a culture of 
uh, safety or joy hmm. or grace or safety, I think that that those types of environments actually lead to better ideas, yeah, better creativity, more um, ownership mm-hmm. of the um, enterprise, whatever it might be. And when people own the organization that they're in or have a sense of ownership about it, they just do a better job. They dream. Yeah. They uh, revolutionize. They strategize. And you end up getting more than you would have gotten yeah. if you'd gone the threatening kind of route. Hmm. So I've always tried to try to do that. You know, it's uh, uh, being a being a senior pastor. You know, there I I have this kind of employer employee relationship with with some people. You hmm. know, as much as yeah. we're co laborers together. Uh, there is the reality that you know we have a staff here at the church, and I'm responsible to, at the end of the day, lead that staff. And it's the Lord's church; it's the mm-hmm. Lord's team, and everything. But He's asked me to do some leadership in His mm-hmm. church. So, you know, it's just it's just the lazy way out to do the threatening thing. Basically, yeah. it's yeah. just the lazy way out, and it takes more work to be pointed, direct, yeah. intentional, mm-hmm. and to be clear about what you expect from mm-hmm. people, what you're looking for from people, to be uh, impartial, you know, to, to be fair. It just takes more work, you know, to do that, but it's just so much better than creating oh, a, yeah. a scary kind of environment, you know, that you're in. I say this to dads a lot, you know, mm-hmm. tell them that, hey, That's look, good. you're a, a father is... Uh, a, a thermostat not a thermometer so a father sets mm-hmm. the temperature in the room and everybody else in the family uh, is the thermometer they 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 will indicate to you the father's temperature mm-hmm. you know so a dad sets the tone or sets the environment in the house is it going to be light is mm-hmm. it going to be joyful is it going to be uh, fun approachable or is it going to be daunting mm-hmm. stiff relationally cold i think a father has that responsibility they, they're the thermostat not the thermometer it's good and i think the same is true in the workplace you know yeah. leaders um, have that responsibility to create the right kind of environment hey just wanted to take a quick second to remind you about what's going on at nateholdridge.com uh, pastor nate just released an article it's called our salvation song It's straight from the book of Isaiah, and it's all about what God has done for us and giving him the praise for that. So, you know, today maybe you're feeling like your Christian life is a little stale. Maybe it's feeling a little bit boring, um, a little rigid. Maybe you're having a hard time remembering or even thinking about what God has really done for you. And just want to encourage you, pick up this article. Consider what God has really done for you. He has won the victory over sin in your life. And he has given you brand new life through the blood of Jesus. And so whatever you're going through today, I know we all go through so many hardships in this life, but we can all look to God and say, thank you, Father, for saving me um, from the pits of hell and giving me a position in Christ. So get that article today. Be reminded of what God has done for you. 
And we're praying that you're just really encouraged this week in all that God has done, is doing, and is going to do for you in your life. So without further ado, let's get back into the conversation. The last thing you kind of mentioned here in the article, Nate, is that Paul tells leaders to lead by consciously remembering always that God shows no partiality. It's just the idea of no partiality, which is an amazing truth. I mean, we think about our Christian faith, and we're just so thankful that God shows no partiality, that all can come to Him and be forgiven of sins and receive new life. But how does that truth maybe impact a leader in the workplace? Is it kind of relate? to a workplace where a leader shouldn't give a raise to a certain person while not giving a raise to another person or give somebody a higher position and another person a different position. Probably sounds silly to say it like that, but just how does impartiality manifest itself, I guess, in the workplace? Oh, yeah. Well, one way that I was thinking about it here with Ephesians is so much that the leader isn't to show partiality Mm -hmm. but his point is what he says is stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master so the the master of the the slave you know jesus is actually at the end of the day Mm -hmm. their lord yeah he says he who is both their master and yours is in heaven so what he's saying Mm -hmm. is There is someone actually above all of you guys. There's someone above the leader and above the employee. His name's Jesus. He's in heaven. And what he says is, there's no partiality with him. Oh, that's good. So the point that Paul's making is not so much, hey, Christian leader, don't show partiality in your workplace, although that's important and that is taught elsewhere in the New Testament. His point is that Jesus doesn't show partiality. Mm So it's kind of like the point that he's making is, hey, Christian leader, Jesus doesn't think your title is all that impressive. He just looks at you and your employees and he sees human beings and he wants you to treat them well and he wants them to treat you well because he's not a respecter of titles. Mm-hmm. He's not impressed with doctor, pastor. Uh, he, he's not impressed with owner, operator. He's not, those things aren't moving him. He's looking at the way that you're treating those people and he wants to make sure that you're treating them well. There is no partiality uh, with him. So that, that was kind of what I was getting at in the article. And I think what Paul was driving for is that in Christ's kingdom and economy, there is an equality where he looks at every human being and says, they're all important. They're all valuable. So the way you treat each other is really important. You should treat each other with equality and uh, respect. Now, this attribute of Jesus should bleed its way into mm-hmm. our leadership. Mm-hmm. You know that we uh, aren't playing favorites. That we aren't, um, you know, ignoring people that could and should have a good opportunity. You know, things like that. So. But the big thing is that Jesus is the one that shows no partiality. Thanks for tuning in today. If you'd like to hear some more content from Pastor Nate, please subscribe to the Jesus Famous podcast. Each week we'll be posting conversations just like the one you just heard 
as well as some live readings that Pastor Nate is posting a couple times a week. For any more articles, books, or resources from Pastor Nate, please go to nateholdridge.com. Catch you next week.